The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Since it was preparation day, in order that the bodies might not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath day of that week was a solemn one. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs be broken and they be taken down. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and then of the other one who was crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one soldier thrust his lance into his side and immediately blood and water flowed out. An eyewitness has testified, and his testimony is true. He knows that he is speaking the truth so that you also may come to believe. For this happened so that the scripture passage might be fulfilled. Not a bone of it will be broken. And again, another passage says, they will look upon him whom they have pierced. The Gospel of the Lord. Tucked away within the details of our first reading are a number of absolutely remarkable statements that anticipate by some nearly 800 years what happened on the original Good Friday 2,000 years ago. As the prophet utters this oracle, oracle against the injustice and the shallow, vain worship of the northern kingdom of Israel, even as he speaks of how it all comes to an end, he names some very important realities, some that look directly to Good Friday, others that look beyond it down to our present day. And he begins with something that is still all too common, an attitude among those of us who proudly name ourselves Christian in terms of what happens on Sunday. And the prophet says, isn't it curious how when the feast days are being celebrated, what you do is you count down the time until it's over? Just like all too many of us can't wait for Mass to be over because we've got more important things to do on the other side. Full disclosure, if you're looking for a quick Mass, you came to the wrong place. Um, but. Note how that's an attitude that the people of God still struggle with. And the prophet goes on further. It's not merely are you just looking to wrap things up and be done. You're actually planning wickedness while you're doing it. I can't wait to get back to work because there's profit to be made. And if I bend the rules a bit, I could make even more profit. And that should be a disturbing thing for us to hear who live in profit-focused North America. 
because so much of the engine that drives our culture is profit-driven. Profit made often at the expense of those who can least afford to pay. And we see that this is something that the Lord has very little tolerance for, especially on the part of those who make a show of so showing up for worship. And this is why Amos stresses, it doesn't matter how correct the details of your worship are, if your heart is fundamentally disordered in that way. And note then the contrast to what the essence of First Friday devotion is, where it begins with the Lord asking us to set aside extra time to be with him. And we see then that in this beautiful devotion, the devotion of the First Fridays where the people of God come aside for something extra and in doing so even give a little bit more, note how it is directly designed as an antidote for that very natural and common tendency which says, oh, let's just get on with it, get it over with, and we're done until next week. And so the certain fundamental generosity of heart that is required to worship well is the very anchor of the essence of these special devotions that we have in the tradition. It's not merely a matter of seeking extra graces. It is a matter of actually living according to that grace that sets our hearts right, that orders our using of our time right, that allows us to pay attention to the Lord in the way the Lord desires us to pay attention to him, and not simply according to the Lord the crumbs of our spare time when we feel like it. So the prophet continues, though, speaking about how this disorder in the heart, which hides behind a certain false prayerfulness, a false worship, then begins to justify itself and give itself permission to just run rampant. And that never comes to a good end. And so now he speaks of the consequences that will happen. And he speaks in sharp languages, on the one hand about disaster to the people, but on the other hand about the way the disaster of sin falls upon Jesus Christ. Know what he says. I will make the sun go dark in the middle of the day. And what happens at noon on Good Friday? But the sun goes dark. I will visit disaster upon them. And what do we say about the Lord? The chastisement which is ours falls upon him. And the prophet continues, and they shall mourn as if for an only son. Looking ahead to that true only son who lays down his life for us on Good Friday. On the one hand, the prophet speaks of a disaster that literally does fall upon the kingdom of Israel. But on the other hand, he speaks beyond that narrow moment to a greater moment. That moment when the sun refuses to shine. That moment when the vanity of the heart of man is on full display. 
that moment where the consequence of sin and infidelity and injustice is made manifest before the eyes of all, and that moment when, in the darkness of a lack of sunlight, the Lord breathes his last, spills his blood, and saves a world so far lost that it could never hope to save itself. And so with that in mind, now we turn to the events of Good Friday as we hear them in our gospel reading today. This beautiful and powerful and enduringly mysterious account of what happens after the sun begins to shine again on Calvary. And this is the interesting thing. At 3 o'clock on Good Friday, after the Lord has died, the sun shines again. Isn't that interesting? We would think that when he died, the sun would go down. But no, it is as he suffers and bears the chastisement on the cross that the sky goes dark. And as this reaches its completion, as the gift is given, as the sacrifice is accepted, light returns over the world. And in that light, there is now the approach to the cross. And the soldiers come with the order, note again, to get it over with. Because the Sabbath begins tomorrow, we've got to get this done, let's finish the job. The heart of man, even at the point where the Lord has given his life, still wants to get on with it. And so the soldiers come and they're told to get on with it. And they approach the crosses and they see that the two crucified with Jesus are still alive, so they break their legs. Because death by crucifixion is not death by loss of blood, but death by suffocation. So they can no longer support themselves to breathe and fill their lungs with air, and they will expire within minutes. They come to the Lord and discover that mysteriously, curiously, he has already given his life. It's not that life left his body, it's that life has been given. Life has been surrendered. And so in this moment, looking upon him on the cross, and we're not exactly sure why, one of the soldiers takes his lance and opens the side of the Lord. And we pause here. Because two remarkable things happen at this moment. Two things that have their antecedent earlier in Scripture. We are told that when Noah built his ark, that ark which would contain two of all living things, the Lord's instruction was, and make a door in the side of the ark, that all living things might enter. And so we see here that the life of Christ, the heart of Christ, is that great ark. And here the door is made, that upon entering it, we might come to life. And from that newly opened heart and side, 
pour forth blood and water. Baptism and Eucharist, the fountain, the saving flood of sacramental grace, which is the very essence of the life of the church. And note how wonderful this is. The Lord has given his life, and so he rests and sleeps on the tree of the cross. And we see here the fulfillment and the greater reality that was anticipated all those many centuries earlier when Adam fell asleep beneath a tree in the Garden of Eden. And while Adam slept by his tree, the Lord God opened his side and took forth a rib and built up a woman, Eve, whose name means life. And here we see the new Adam resting on the tree and his side opened up and his bride, the church, being drawn forth from him. And upon seeing Eve, what does Adam say in the garden? But truly this one is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh one with me. And note then, why do we call ourselves the body of Christ? Because the church is bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh, blood of his blood. How great, how unspeakably great the mysteries we celebrate today. The Lord, who in pouring out his blood, wins forgiveness and brings us to life. How exquisitely wonderful this moment. This moment where we celebrate that blood which is greater than the blood of the original Passover lamb. The blood of an unthinking animal spread upon the lintel and the door jams that those who were enslaved in Egypt might be spared the chastisement of death that was coming upon the oppressor. But that blood only has power because it anticipates the greater spilling of blood that would take place on the cross. It has its meaning not simply in that moment of exodus. It has its meaning, its fullness, its might in the greater spilling of the blood of the true Paschal Lamb, Jesus Christ on the cross, which wins the redemption of a world enslaved by sin and brings it not to a passing life, but a life that will not perish. How absolutely remarkable. This blood, which is the effectiveness of all other, this blood of the new covenant, which gives the blood of every earlier covenant its meaning. This blood spilled over us, which saves us. And as we realize this, this blood which is the price of our redemption, again we pause. We pause because we recognize then, what was bought by this blood? What was purchased by a price so great and so high? And the answer can only be 
all of mankind was bought. And it's important that we realize this and do not forget it because there are always those who want to make it somewhat less than everybody. As if Jesus died only for some. As if Jesus died only for this group and not some other group. But the Lord died for all. That all might have the opportunity to move towards salvation. Whether all take advantage of the opportunity or not is a different issue. But what is not at issue is the question of for how many did Jesus die? It is for all or it's for none. And how wonderful that is. This blood of a new covenant, which is not for some people, but for all people which is not simply for those who believe they've earned it ahead of time, but for all of those who can't possibly begin to earn it at all, which is everyone. A blood so infinite, a blood so rich, it can cleanse and fall over every single soul and never run out. How wonderful this is. How beautiful this is. And how good we pause on this day to celebrate and honor this blood. And how right that this day falls this year on a first Friday. Where we twin the devotion to the heart that pumps the blood. With the blood, devotion to the blood that flows out of that heart. Onto each and every one of us. So in just a few minutes, my friends from that blood which was spilled on the cross to this altar, that saving victory comes to us here. The heart, the side, was pierced on Good Friday, 2,000 years ago. Blood flowed out of that heart, and the sacrament flows off of this altar today to you and to me. How exquisitely wonderful this is. This ever-flowing fountain of salvation. This ever-flowing spring of grace and goodness, forgiveness and healing. And we get to come forward today and not just hear about it. We can stretch out our hands. We can open our mouths. And we can receive. How glorious and how wonderful. And in stretching out your hands to him, even as you receive him into yourself, understand the door in the side of the ark is opened and he receives you first into his life and into his goodness. And as you take him into yourself, Hear him say to you, who are the fruit of the sacramental grace that flows from his open side, hear him say to you, truly this one is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, one indeed with me. And as you receive him, 
Ask him for that great gift of him marking the lintel and the doorposts of your heart, not with the blood of a lamb, but his own blood, the blood of the true lamb, that your heart might be kept safe from all of those things that threaten to diminish, to devalue, to demean, or even destroy the fullness of life that you have been given. Protect your heart with the blood of the true lamb. Should we do that? Should we do that? We don't simply mark this day well, but we move forward from this day with the grace to live all of the days that follow truly well in addition. And that indeed is a marvelously great thing. Amen.